I wish that I had given myself a little bit more credit and thought outside the box. I didn't really know anything different at the time. It was just one of those experiences that I, I needed to go through that was part of my journey to get to where I am now. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of changing career paths so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to share her story of relaunching her career as a defense intelligence officer to become a web developer and founder. We're going to talk about how to build a community, the importance of thinking outside of the box, and how to build your first website. Afterwards, I'll describe the rather challenging journey I've had with my website as it relates to taking imperfect actions. Today, I'm speaking with Julia Taylor, who is an intelligence officer for the U.S. Department of Defense with assignments in places including Kabul and Kandahar, Afghanistan. She eventually met her husband during one of her deployments, moved to the U.K., and went through a transitional period where she bounced around a bit with some nine to five jobs before eventually moving to North Carolina, where she began building websites. She's now the CEO and founder of Geek Pack, focused on empowering women and girls to change their lives for the better through the power of code, community, and confidence. As a former military wife, self-taught web developer, and lover of location independence, Julia has taught over 2,500 women to not only master WordPress, but also take control of their lives and live by their own terms. Now, I first heard about Julia because she left a voicemail for me describing a bit of her career journey that I aired in episode 80 featuring Brad Stewart. I mentioned I was going to try to get Julia onto the show, and she kindly agreed to share more of her story with me today. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 84. Julia spoke with me from Durango, Colorado. Hello, Julia, and welcome to Career Relaunch. It is great to have you on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Let's start off by talking a little bit about what you have been focused on recently in your career and your life. And then we're going to go back in time and talk about your very interesting career trajectory. So what's been keeping you busy lately? I love the, this time of year because I get to reflect on what I've done and what my, my team, what we've accomplished and also look forward into, you know, what we want to do in the future. So I'm doing a lot of that right now. And it's a really exciting it starts out being a bit overwhelming. And then as I start to dig in and chat with different team members and some coaches and kind of identify next steps, it does get really exciting. And that's really where I am now. So I got a couple priorities that I'm, I'm focused on professionally. My big priority is focusing on my team because I'm a big believer that if I can build a solid, a supported and encouraged team of folks who love what they do and believe in the, the mission and vision of my company of Geek Pack, that that will trickle down to my community. And that's been working for the last couple of years. So I, I do, I spend a lot of time and energy focused on my team, empowering them, making sure that they're happy and, and they feel supported. So that's my big focus professionally. And personally, I'm in a really fortunate position to be able to, I don't want to say step back, but 
because I can empower my team so much and give them more responsibility, I'm actually able to have a much better work-life balance than I've ever had before. And that's been a big priority this past year and will continue to be. Um, so I can really be the visionary and not so much in the weeds and move the business forward and reach our vision. So that, that's been what I've been working on. And is your team based where you are physically and geographically or are they spread out everywhere? All over the world. So I'm in Colorado. I've got a team member in Florida. We've got one in Canada. We've got one in the UK and we've got two in Australia. Uh, I've got another one on the East Coast, someone in Texas. So literally all over the world. I know that one of the things that you're real passionate about is the independence of working wherever you want to. I think you refer to it as location independence. So we're going to come back to that and talk about how you've done that in your own life. But it sounds like you're bringing that to life with your own team, too. So that's really cool. Also, Geek Pack, can you just give us a snapshot of what exactly you do as the CEO and founder of Geek Pack? What do you guys do for your clients? We empower, so the mission of, of Geek Pack, we empower women in tech to get into tech, really. So um, anyone who has ever dabbled in anything kind of techy in the past, or maybe they didn't get into anything techy because maybe they weren't very good at math when they were a kid and someone said to them, you're never going to be good at tech, you know, that sort of thing. And anyone who who really wants to give tech a go, and we, we primarily focus on coding. So we teach web development, we teach um, coding languages, and we just empower women to learn these hard skills that they can then use, whether it's in a nine to five job or they want to start their own online business. And they, they learn these skills with a community around them. And that's what Geek Pack is. It's a community where, where people can ask the, the quote unquote silly questions that normally they might be terrified to ask because someone might be rude or they might laugh at them. And there's none of that allowed in, in my community. It's, it's we support one another. We encourage each other. We're there when there's wins and when there's lows, answering questions and all that that goes along with learning these skills, but also finding clients and finding work. And, and that's what Geek Pack is. Very cool. And what a great mission that you've got out there, because I think that that's especially important these days, just empowering people to be able to have the tools to create their own websites and to learn how to code. It seems like it's a very current necessary skill these days that pretty much, I guess, all of us need to have. And I have basically zero of those skills. And so, <laughs> all right. Well, so now you haven't always been the founder of Geek Pack, Julia. So I would love to go back in time and talk about your chapter in your career when you were actually a defense intelligence officer. Let's talk about that. And then we can move forward from there. What exactly were you doing as a defense intelligence officer? Back in, gosh, this was 2000, I want to say about 2006 is when I, I joined the U.S. government and joined the Department of Defense as an intelligence officer. And it was an amazing job. I got to travel all over the world. I actually deployed to Afghanistan twice, which was a real honor to get to to go there and, and, and work with everyone there and the, the mission that we were we were doing. And this was back in 2008. 09 and, and 2010, so kind of at the height of when, when stuff was going on in Afghanistan. And I was an intelligence officer, so I, I worked with um, lots of different intelligence agencies, and we collected as much information as possible to put together 
packages, so to speak, that we would then pass on to a, a military unit that would then go in and action that intelligence. That's probably um, the best way to explain what I did. I did a lot of um, high-level briefings. I would brief generals and go to the Pentagon and, and things like that. So um, from very high-level strategic stuff all the way down to tactical kind of stuff that was going on on the ground when I was in country. So a, a very wide range of stuff that I got to do. Very, very privileged position. And how did you get into that line of work? Is that something that you had thought you wanted to do when you grew up or were you thinking about this in, in university or college? Why did I? When I was growing up, my mom was a flight attendant for Delta. She flew my whole, you know, as I was growing up and my dad, he was a stay-at-home dad with me and my brother. And because she was a flight attendant, we got to fly for free. So all growing up, I've always traveled and I've been incredibly fortunate to get to travel all over the world. and. I think I always had that that kind of interest and that bug in me to travel. And when I was in college, I decided to study Russian. And the only reason I did is I, I looked into it and it had a very high percentage of people getting A's. <laughs> and I feel terrible, <laughs> like admitting that. But I, I thought, oh, you know, it's, it, it, that would be a cool thing to do. And for some reason, I always thought I would be, I would work for the Foreign Service, that I would work for the State Department and travel. and. I was, I was lucky enough to get a, an internship with the State Department back when I was in college. And I lived in Armenia and um, for a summer and did that. And I very quickly realized I did not want to do that job. <laughs> so I, I thought, oh, maybe something in the intelligence community would be cool. And I learned Russian and I actually got a, a government grant and they sent me to Russia to live there for a year to learn the language. So that kind of led me into working for the government and it all it worked out really well. And I, I just, you know, in the right place at the right time. And and I got a, a great position with the Department of Defense and I got to do that for a handful of years and travel and deploy. And it was it was a fantastic opportunity. And before we talk about your transition, I, I just got to ask you, because I know very little about the military or even the intelligence community aside from the kind of stuff i see on like tv or sure. like i'm thinking of jack ryan are there any sort of misconceptions that exist about what any intelligence officer does a hundred percent like every misconception you can imagine okay. <laughs> so, right. um, everything you see in hollywood um i would say 90 percent of that is not possible okay. <laughs> but they sure make it make it look good. Nothing kind of moves as quickly as it does um, on on Hollywood. And you're right, Jack Ryan and Twenty Four and right, um, Homeland. Exactly. You know all all those. They're they're amazing TV shows, yeah, and I, I would those. watch them. And I would think to myself, Why didn't we have that asset? Why didn't it move that quick? But it's it's just not feasible. I mean, at the end of the day, working for the government, it is a huge machine. Uh, working for the military. And, you know, things take time, decisions take time. The only time when anything ever moved quickly and was anything remotely similar to what you see in Hollywood was when I was deployed. And even then it was probably just kind of 10% similar, okay. but still very cool to kind of know how it actually happens. And, you know, we've, we've got a lot of pretty incredible gadgets and um, tech stuff that can happen uh, that the government can use, but it's nothing like what you see in in Hollywood. I wish it was, but uh -huh. may, maybe we're getting closer, but Hollywood has a good, a good way of exaggerating all that. Can you also just give a glimpse into what your setup was? Like, were you 
on the field? Were you in an office? Were you in a tent? What, what was your physical setup when you were deployed? My first deployment, I was in Kabul in the capital and we were on a base and I was in a building. Um, so, you know, all from the inside, you would never know the difference. It was kind of technically within a um, something called a skiff for years. So I probably couldn't tell you what that stands for, but it was a secure compartmented environment. But apart from that, it just looked like any other open floor plan office space with lots of computers. Um, and occasionally when I was deployed both times, I would get to go out and go to different FOBs, forward operating bases. So places that had tents and that's where they kind of operated out of. And I would, I would spend a couple days here and there, but for the most part, I was in a, it was just like an office building. Um, in my second deployment, I was down in Kandahar in the South. And that was a much, much bigger, huge base. Uh, and it was, it was a town pretty much. I mean, there was a pizza hut there. There was a coffee shop. There was, you know, all the Western amenities you could think of, you could get there on, on base, but yet you were in the middle of the desert in Afghanistan. So two different experiences, but both times it's a pretty much just an office setup, lots of TVs, big screens all around where you can kind of watch things that were going on on the ground. But for the most part, pretty much just an office. <laughs> So at what point did you start to think about doing something differently? I understand you were doing this for a few years, but you actually eventually went through a bit of a transition. While I was deployed my first time in 2008 in Kabul, I actually met a guy who is now my husband. We just celebrated 10 years um, of oh, marriage. And thank you. So we, we met and, and he's British. So that's kind of where the story takes a bit of a turn. And of course he was in, he was in the military. He has since retired and him being British and both of us being in jobs that traveled a lot and deployed a lot, it didn't work very well personally. Um, we had great professional careers, but personally it was tough, the, the long distance and everything else. So. I made the decision to leave my job with the government and move to the UK and we got married and I became a military wife, which is one of the things I'm most proud of. But my career progression took a real nosedive um, because as, as anyone who is familiar with what it's like being in the military, you move a lot. And we did, we moved a lot. And I, I found myself jumping from one kind of blah nine to five to another with zero career progression. So it took a, that took a real toll. And we did that for a few years. And that was kind of my in-between time of, you know, what am I going to do? And how do I have career progression for myself while we move all the time? Because remote work wasn't really a big thing back then. I, I was really kind of lost on the professional side. And can you remember the moment when you decided that, hey, I got to do something about this. I can't keep bouncing from one job to another. Is there a particular moment that stands out in your mind? Yes, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I mean, I wish it was one of these moments where, you know, that the heavens opened and doves, <laughs> doves came flying in. It was, it was definitely an aha moment, but like things didn't change immediately. It still took time, but gosh, this must have been... Uh, 2014. And I was in one of these nine to fives. I was in, in the job. And now granted, I had no 
tech background. So when I worked for the government, I didn't do anything techie. Um, I didn't do anything with code. When I went to college, I didn't have anything. I'd never looked at or done anything with any code or websites or anything like that. So that was all completely new to me. And I was um, working away and my boss walks in and he says that he wanted his business's website to have this functionality. And he, he told me to do it. And I had absolutely, I knew what he was asking for, but I had no idea how to achieve it. What was your actual role at the time when he asked? Oh, you to I, was, I was a business analyst. Okay. Nothing techie at all. We would, we would go out and kind of uh, work with local businesses and get them involved with what we were doing in the unit as part of the, the university. And yeah, so nothing to do with, with websites or anything techie and why he thought I would know how to do this. I have no idea, but you know, it was a gift. Uh-huh. So he asked me to do this thing and kind of walked out. And I remember thinking, I, you know, what do I do now? And I looked to my colleague sat next to me and he, he is a bit more techie than I was. And he said, don't worry, let, let's Google it and we'll figure it out. So sure enough, I, I know how to Google. So I, I Google exactly what my boss had asked me to do. And what it is, what it was is, you know, when you're on a, on a website and there's like an FAQ and there's the kind of drop down, like the plus minus. And yeah. You can, you, yeah. Like it, that's what he asked. sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. That's what he asked for. So I Googled that and I found this line of code and I took this, I copied it and I pasted it into the back end of the website and I hit save and then I refreshed the website and it worked. And that was the moment where I had this like, oh my gosh, I just Googled something that created this thing that someone asked for. And I I had no idea what I was doing, but I was able to Google it and problem solve and figure it out. And the result was was right there in front of me. And it, it it was a magical moment. And that was when I thought to myself, wow, like if I can learn more about this, Maybe this is a skill that I could then use to get a remote job to where I could, you know, work from anywhere. So it was that moment of, okay, this could be the thing. Of course, what my current career has turned into is very different than what I thought it would back then. Uh, But that was the moment when I realized that I just did something based on what I learned on Google, created a result, and I saw the results right there on the screen. And I thought maybe this could be something. And so at that moment, you're realizing that, okay, I've got the ability to figure this stuff out. I can start to tweak code on a website. What happened next for you in terms of your actual career track and what you, uh, what you did about this once you figured this out? So I learned as much as I could. I took all the free coding classes I could find, all the resources, and I built websites, you know, from the ground up. I I did all the things that I, I thought I needed to do to know enough to get a job. So in my head, this whole time, I'm thinking to myself, I will get a job. I will, you know, be an employee. I will work in a nine to five, but I will be remote. There was nothing in me that thought I could be an entrepreneur. There was nothing in me that thought I could have an online business that I ran. There never was that something I considered because I don't know anyone that did that. Of course you hear online business. I'm like, oh, that's a total scam. So all those things, it was just, that was not an option for me. So I learned as much as I could. And then I started applying for jobs and I probably applied for like 200 jobs. And I didn't hear back from any. 
Okay, this so is all in the UK, or uh, it, this was partly in the UK, and then we moved. My my husband's last job in the military before I retired was in the US. We were in okay. North Carolina, so oh, it was I kind see. of okay. overlapping that time. So we moved to the US, and I'm you know I'm still looking for remote work. And where we ended up in North Carolina, the closest place where I could have worked in a, an office doing anything tech related was about an hour away, and I didn't want to commute that long, so. I'm still applying for remote jobs and nothing's coming through. And it was really, really discouraging. As you can imagine here, I'd learned all these skills and I thought I was, you know, I'm doing all the right things and and no one would even glance at my resume. And it was only when a colleague of my husband's retired from the military and he was starting his own business. And he said to me, you know, I know you know how to build websites. Will you build mine? And I said to him, that's not a real thing. <laughs> I said, you know, I, I can't do that. I don't, I don't, I, I had every excuse possible. And he convinced me. And, and sure enough, I did. I built his website and he he loved it. And he said, why don't you do this? Why don't you start your own business working with other business owners who need websites and need tech help and all that? And I, I really pushed back, but I finally gave it a go. And, and that was the start of me building my agency, which then led into me transitioning into um, education. And now I teach women how to do exactly what I did, build an online business they can do from anywhere. They can work as much as they want, as little as they want, building websites, learning to code, troubleshooting, problem solving, you know, it, pretty much anything tech related they can do because they know how to code. They know how to problem solve. They have the confidence. And, and that's what, what I get to do now every day. Okay. So you're actually coaching these women on the actual services that you were once providing to your clients, like building websites and helping them with the technical side of things. Is that right? Exactly. And what, I, what I'm a big believer in now is it took me years to learn the skills to have the confidence and the gumption really to put myself out there and to, to find clients and build a business years. And what I'm trying to do for them is cut that time way down to months. And one thing that I did not have when I was learning and, and building the, the business was a community. So everything took me so much longer because I didn't have anyone to bounce ideas off of or ask questions or get support or just get another set of eyes on some code that wasn't working. And, you know, you go cross-eyed looking at it and someone else can go, oh, it's just this small thing here. So when I wanted to do something and educate and, and get into the, the kind of teaching realm, my priority, my main thing was creating a community. And then the program teaching them the skills, WordPress development specifically, and all the tech that goes along with that was secondary to the community. So it was pretty much everything that I wish that I had when I was going through the process is what I've created. So this is a good segue into the next topic I was hoping to cover with you, Julia, which is how you built up your business. And what I'd like to focus on is how you built up your community. Cause it sounds like you did go through that whole process of, and I guess struggling through the process of trying to find your clients, build up your business. How exactly did you build the community? So it goes back to, uh, it was October of 2018. So we just, just hit three years of the community and 
to be honest, it, it was a lot of my time. And as I mentioned at the beginning, something that I've been working on a lot recently is, is a better work-life balance because I didn't have that. When I first started the community, and, and it's a Facebook group, it's a private Facebook group for um, you know members um, who, who join the program. And it worked great. I mean, I, you know, thank you, Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> for being able to use that platform. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, people are already there, but it it's a great platform to be able to use that. And honestly, the first year and a half, I was in there every single day as often as possible, answering questions, supporting people, going live, providing as much value as possible. And I think that's one of the one of the lessons that I learned early on when I got into setting up an online business, whether I was trying to find my own clients or working with students is adding value, coming to the table with with value first, rather than asking for something. And I've, I, I have a coach who I learned from, and that's what she always did was lead with value. And I've followed that. And every single thing that I do, I try my hardest to lead value because I want people to see that there is real value. And we're not we're not just asking for for money or, or whatever. You know, look at this value that we will provide for no cost. And if it's something that you think you might enjoy and get a kick out of and want to learn more, great. We have those opportunities. But any opportunity to lead the value. And that's what I've always done in the community uh, is just try and be as valuable as possible. And any experience that I've had in the past that I can share with them and I, my community members, like I am very honest and transparent with them. I, the amount of times that I, I will cry when I'm on a live telling them about something that didn't work or did work or, you know, wins and, and, and things that, you know, lessons learned. I've had a lot of amazing wins and I've learned a lot of lessons over the years and I share all of that with my community. So I try and be as as transparent and um, authentic as possible and just lead with value. Those are the, the things that I've done and it's worked. And now, as I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm able to focus on my team because they then pour all their value into the community. So I, I now have that barrier where I can focus on my team and then they focus on the community so that we, we kind of have a, a triangle effect and that that's worked uh, really, really well. So yeah, leading with value is probably the best thing I've ever done. I've actually gone through a bit of a journey myself with this whole community idea. So I love the idea of building a community of followers and engaged people who are kind of sharing ideas and asking questions and having this community forum. I actually attempted this myself a few years ago and I found it very challenging, Julia. Like I remember I even explored some plugins on my site. I think there are a couple like Memberships Pro and there was another one called I think BuddyPress and like MemberPress on my WordPress site. What did you find to be the most challenging part of building up a community? I honestly think it was just the amount of time that I spent in there personally. There is a lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into it initially to get it working really, really well. And once that was working, I could bring in other team members who felt as strongly about the community, the mission, our core values and our vision as I did to take my place so that I could focus on other things. There's a lot of sweat equity that went into that community. So that's, if, if I believe that if you really want a solid 
community like that, you got to be willing to put in that time or pay someone else to put in the time. But if you want to be the face, a face for people to kind of rally around, then it is a lot of time to put in. Helpful to know. And it's become very clear to me why my community didn't get built up online because I guess those <laughs> couple things you mentioned is just like another platform. I was on a platform I think called, well, it was called Rainmaker, which I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's uh, it was very complicated to use. And I did not have much luck attracting people into that community of users and also just the time of just monitoring it and managing it. And I just didn't have the bandwidth to do it. But it sounds like, yeah, there's really no replacement for just a hard work and getting in there every day and engaging with people. So yep. that's a good tip. Okay. So before I talk about some of the lessons you've learned along the way of your career journey, Julia, I can't let you go without asking you a few questions about websites because we do have listeners here who listen to the show and they're thinking about making a change. And I actually just read an article in the Wall Street Journal about record numbers of people leaving the corporate world to run their own businesses or to work for themselves or to become their own bosses. And part of that is having your own website. And I remember when I first started my business as a career coach, a lot of other coaches at the time, and this was around 2013, said I didn't have to have a website, which I thought as someone myself who focuses on personal branding, I just thought that was poor advice because I feel like if you're running your own business, you absolutely have to have a website. What would you say to someone who's thinking about building a website and wrestling with whether they should do it themselves or whether they should hire someone else to do it for them? And I ask this as someone myself who has done both. <laughs> sure. So I would say it comes down to time and budget. So if you have the time and you do not have the budget to get someone else to do it, and I say budget, and that's you know very broad, the prices range, you know, from 500 bucks to 50 grand, you know, that that's kind of people always ask me, how much does it cost to build a website? Well, you know, it depends on the functionality and what you're trying to get out of it and then experience level and, and all that. So, so time and budget is what it really comes down to. If you don't have the time and you have budget, then hire it out because it's, um, it can be super frustrating. Uh, I mean, the amount of times I do this for a living and the amount of times that I want to pull my hair out is remarkable. So I can only imagine uh, other people trying to build their own website, regardless of platform. It can be incredibly frustrating. I would just say time and budget really depends. Have you noticed any common pitfalls that people tend to make when they are creating their first website? Updating, um, not maintaining the website after it is up and running, particularly with WordPress. Because WordPress is a free platform, it, which is awesome. It's open source, uh, it's free. Now I say that lightly because if you want a website on the internet, you do have to rent space on the internet through a hosting provider. And you have to have a domain name. So www.geekpack.co, for example, that you also pay for. It can be super low cost, but with WordPress, because it is open source, it's constantly being updated. There's plugins, there's themes, there's core files, there's PHP. Like there's so many things that have to be updated. WordPress gets hacked all the time. It is the most popular website building platform, period. Like 45% of all websites in the world 
are built with WordPress and it's only growing. It's only becoming more and more popular. It, but because it's so popular, hackers are constantly trying to put malware into different applications. And all of that can be avoided so long as you just do some simple things like updating everything that needs to be updated with the WordPress site, the plugins, the themes, all the core files, having a security, a way of having security. So whether that's with your hosting provider or a free security plugin, my favorite is called WordFence. Oh, that's what I use. Good. Yes, nice. it is. Okay. It's a good one. It's <laughs> the right one. Good. Uh, and, and, and having backups, regular backups. And again, some hosting providers do those, but there's also a free plugin called Updraft Plus, uh, which does too? backups. Yep. Okay. So you're, you're set. Th- those are the amount of times I would clean up hacked websites was ridiculous. And uh, I teach my students how to do that because it's a lucrative thing to know because it happens so often, but it doesn't have to. It's a, oh gosh, 10 minutes a month sort of job to not have to deal with all the headaches. I can vouch for that, Julia, because my web guys are constantly trying to remind me that we need to go in and just make sure everything's updated on my site. And I always ask them, do we really have to do this on a monthly basis? And they <laughs> said, yeah, you really should. And then I don't listen to them. And then something breaks on my website. And this has happened to me repeatedly. Last question about websites. And I do want to get back to your career and what you've learned along the way. You mentioned website building platforms. Now, the way I think about this as a lay person is you've got these out-of-the-box solutions like Squarespace or Wix, and then you've got, I don't even know what you call it, but you've got more of the WordPress platform, which is, as you mentioned, open source, probably takes a little bit more work if you don't have any knowledge of coding or HTML. Do you have any perspectives or opinions on if somebody's doing their first site, whether they should be on something like a Squarespace or Wix, or if they should be on WordPress? shy away from Wix. Squarespace is a fantastic platform. It serves a great purpose. It is user-friendly. It's easy. You pay a certain amount. It is more expensive than WordPress. You pay a certain amount and just, you know, drag and drop and everything is kind of done and the setup and, and everything. However, I love WordPress. And as I said, the, the popularity of WordPress is only growing. I do have some gripes with it. It is not user-friendly. I don't know why they make it so complicated. I say it's complicated. Once you, if someone who knows WordPress can kind of show you around and explain it, you would have this light bulb moment of, oh, I got it. It's not as hard as I thought sort of thing, but they don't make it all that easy out of the box. People have, you know, I got so many Instagram followers or I got, you know, like if you have, if you rely on, external platforms for clients, for students, for marketing, for whatever, you could lose that option at any given moment. Facebook can go down, Instagram, like all of those things can shut down. So the example is if you look at Shopify, Squarespace, Wix, Weebly, those are external platforms where, yeah, technically you own your website, but if you want to take your website and all your files and all your data kind of off of their platform, it is very, very complicated. Moving from one platform to another is time consuming and complicated, and it's not easy at all. But with WordPress, you can literally take your website, you can put it in a suitcase, and you can walk over to another hosting platform and you can put it there. You can have all of your website files on your desktop computer. You can have them all on your Google Drive as as a backup. So you own your data and you have it 
in a neat little suitcase that you can take anywhere. Whereas with the others, you could lose that at any moment, just like with Facebook and it going down in the world, the world stopping. So that's just a, a plug for it. And on top of that, it is scalable. On WordPress, you could have a one-page website or you could have a Fortune 500 billion dollar company on there using it and it works. You can have e-commerce, you can sell products, pretty much anything you can imagine you can do on WordPress. And because the code is open source, if you know how to code and you know the ins and outs of WordPress, you can customize it. That's why I, I love it. So everything you just said, Julia, I wish I would have heard about seven years ago <laughs> when I went with one of these platforms. I mentioned I was on Rainmaker and getting off of that platform was a complete nightmare. It was the bane of my existence for a year and it was very complicated. I went over to WordPress and I will never, like never again, I will always remain with WordPress from here on out. So very useful advice. And I can personally vouch for everything you've just said. So great. <laughs> very helpful. Okay. Well, the last thing I want to uh, talk about with you, Julia, before we wrap up with one of the interesting initiatives you've got at Geekpack is just some of the lessons you've learned along the way of your very unique career journey, going from the military over to what you're doing right now at Geekpack. You mentioned that when you were going through that process of applying to jobs, you said something like applying to 200 applications. Looking back on that experience, is there anything that you would have done differently? I think now it's a lot more common, especially with COVID, to work remote or to start your own business. I wish that I had given myself a little bit more credit and thought outside the box. I didn't really know anything different at the time. And uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think that I could have done much different. I, you know, I didn't have a degree. Could I have gone back to school and got a computer science degree? I guess I could have, but I'm so glad I didn't. My word. <laughs> so no, I, I think other than just believing in myself a little bit more, it was just one of those experiences that I needed to go through. That was part of my journey to get to where I am now, and to be able to tell that to my students that. There is so much more and they can do so much more than they ever thought. I didn't think outside the box, so I try to help them think outside the box as much as possible. The other thing that you mentioned earlier was that, I guess when we spoke before we started recording, you, you mentioned that you actually had no idea that you could even run an online business. What surprised you the most about creating and running your own online business that is geographically agnostic and independent? Well, I think the thing that surprised me the most was that there were actual real human people out there who would take a chance on me and pay me to do a service for them. That blew me away. I did. I just didn't think that would be a, a thing to know that, that someone else would say yes to me to do something for them that I'd taught myself to do. I'm still kind of like, oh, wow, yeah, that really happened. <laughs> Well, the last thing I want to wrap up with is just one of the very interesting initiatives that you've got going on at Geekpack. Can you tell me a little bit more about the Geek for Geek initiative? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, this is the thing I'm, I'm so excited about. We just recently launched this. So, so what it is, is I always thought that my dream for Geekpack would be to keep doing what we're doing, but if, if I could eventually one day 
uh, start a nonprofit arm to Geekpack, that would just, you know, be dream come true. And I spoke to a couple people about setting up a nonprofit and come to find out it's a real pain to set up, to run, to manage um, all the bureaucracy and everything that goes along with it. And I thought, oh, well, that's a shame. You know, I, I any way that I could give back, I wanted to do, and I felt kind of deflated. I was listening to a podcast with Blake Mykoski. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his, his last name correctly, but he's the founder of Tom's Shoes. So this is the company where they, they have lots of, of shoes. And, and if you buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair of shoes to children in need. And this is a, a one-for-one model. And now he didn't create the one-for-one model, but he definitely popularized it. It became huge. And when I heard this interview with him and I thought to myself, well, hang on, why would I create a nonprofit that has all this extra bureaucracy when I'm in the very fortunate position to be able to have my for-profit business and give back in a social entrepreneur way? I don't have to be governed. It's my choice because I am able to and because I want to. And so I, I kind of took his idea and ran with it and went with a program called Geek for Geek. It's a real good example of taking imperfect action. I am a recovering perfectionist, and this is a good example of something that I've done. And of course, I want the Geek for Geek program to be kind of set up exactly right and how it's going to run forever. But I know that's not realistic, and I've learned that over the years. So we, we recently had an event a couple months ago called Geekapalooza. And uh, we got to launch the Geek for Geek initiative during this this event. As you can tell, there's a lot of geek that goes into my into my brand, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it, it's a great it's a great thing to get behind. And we I'm I'm based in Colorado, and there's a an international nonprofit called Dress for Success, and they work with women in lower income kind of uh, situations and you know financial struggles who initially they started a nonprofit to provide them with suits and kind of business attire to go in for interviews. And they've expanded since then. And they they support women who really need um, support and help when it comes to finding work or starting a business and um, getting promotions and things like that. So I, I reached out to them and in Denver and, um, and I just said, Hey, you know, I I'd like to launch this program. Would you be willing to partner? And sure enough, they said, yes. And we got to take 20 women from dress for success. We got to invite them into my WordPress development program, teaching them how to build websites and, and start their own online business. Uh, and we got to, uh, to do that back in October. And it was, it was just such a, a joy to get to, to do that. And, you know, they're, they're now learning these skills that they wouldn't normally get to. We invited them in free of charge. And, and that's a, an initiative that we plan on continuing on. So for, for anyone, I mean, if, if I could plug anything, it would be if anyone knows of any nonprofits that work with women to empower them to, you know, women who are in tough financial situations that just need a bit of help and, and a bit of support. I would love to partner with them um, in the Geek for Geek initiative. Well, if they want to learn more about you, or if we've got listeners who want to learn more about Geek Pack or the Geek for Geek initiative, where's the best place that they can go? My website, geekpack.co is the best place to go. I got one more question I'm going to sneak in here, Julia, because I'm listening to you 
describe all these really cool initiatives that you've created, not, not only creating Geek Pack, but also this Geek for Geek initiative. And I know earlier you mentioned that you never thought that you were gonna become an entrepreneur. I'm just curious, what have you learned about yourself along the way of your very interesting and entrepreneurial journey? That I am a lot stronger and more resilient than I ever gave myself credit for. Even with the job that I did for the government and you know all the things that I did after that, running a business and having a team and, and having a, a brand that, I mean, I, I'm incredibly proud of the brand and, and the people I get to work with and the community that I, I get to have. And you know, it, as, as uncomfortable as it is to say, the lives that we get to change. I, I'm uncomfortable saying it because I it feels a little big headed and that's that's never at all what I what I want to sound. But you know that that's what I get to do all the time. And I I never years ago would have thought that I could do that, that I could empower women, but I am a lot stronger and a lot more resilient than I ever gave myself credit. And that's something I have to remind myself of regularly. It's very easy to focus on the negative or things that don't go well, but I do try and reflect and think back and be proud of what I've built and be proud of my team and the community that we have and uh, the women that we get to teach and, and see their wins and, you know, the, the constant, you know, I, I just landed my, you know, my biggest client or, you know, I just, I, I now make more than I ever did in my day job, you know, testimonials like that is because I, I took a chance on myself and it's, it's worked out really well. Well, it does sound like you're having a huge impact on a lot of people out there, Julia. So I just got to commend you for all the work that you're doing and just wanted to thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to tell us more about your life as an intelligence officer formerly and the steps you took to pave a new path in your career and how you went about building a community of engaged women empowered to code and help others create their own websites. So best of luck with Geek Pack and the Geek for Geek initiative and the continually growing community that you've built. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. So I hope you heard some useful insights from Julia about how to build a community, the importance of adding value, and some things to consider when you're building your first website. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share my own challenges of creating my first website and what I learned about the importance of just starting somewhere. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I'd like to thank Audible for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks offering over 180,000 audiobook titles for listening anytime and anywhere on your favorite device. And for listeners of this show, they're offering a free audiobook download and 30-day trial. Just go to audibletrial.com slash career relaunch to download your free audiobook today. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. And for today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to pick up on something Julia said toward the end of our chat about imperfect actions. And since we're talking about websites, I figured I'd share a few more details about my own journey to build my first website that actually relates to this concept of taking imperfect actions. And boy, has it been a journey. So the very first website I ever tried to create was the one I created for my current business. After I left the corporate world behind to start my own career consultancy, one of the very first things I tried to do was get some sort of a website up, which from a marketing standpoint, 
I felt was absolutely critical to conveying some sort of credibility to potential clients so they could take me seriously. And since I was just starting out and not really bringing in much income from clients at the time, I decided to try and build it myself. How hard could it be, right? So I hopped onto wordpress.com, bought a domain name, found a template I liked, and did my best to piece it together. I literally used Microsoft Word to create my first little logo for the website, which was basically my company name with a colored blue box around it. And to make a long story short, my attempt to create my first website didn't go so well. I spent a lot of time, many hours, both during the day and mostly late into the night, trying to get the pages looking a certain way. I remember spending hours just trying to get a button to show up in a certain spot on the homepage. As someone who had just come from the world of marketing, where we hired agencies to do all this stuff for us, it was pretty painful and definitely not how I should have been spending my time. I eventually asked around on online forums to find someone who actually knew what they were doing to help me build my site the right way. And I stumbled upon a freelance web developer who came very well recommended. Well, I say well recommended, but it was actually by just one person. Now, he seemed affordable, was a pretty nice guy based in Oklahoma. I'm also from the Midwest. We got along pretty well, so I decided to hire him. I also poked around on the websites of people whom I followed and found out about this platform called Rainmaker, which was the platform I ended up using and became a total disaster for all sorts of reasons I won't get into here. But I actually wrote a blog post about why I shifted from Rainmaker to WordPress, which I will link to in the show notes if you're interested. I should also mention that the web developer I hired was really unreliable and disappeared on me several times mid-project. I actually went through multiple more rounds of additional web developers over the course of years that I'd found mostly on platforms like Upwork, who seemed good initially and were very affordable. But in the end, I kind of got what I paid for, which I've found tends to be the case when hiring freelancers. They ended up not being very good and created a lot of unnecessary hassle, headache, and even heartache because I was just investing so much time and effort into trying to get my website to a place where I could just be happy with it. By this point in time, my website was becoming the biggest time suck on my business. It was literally occupying all my hours and keeping me up at night. It wasn't actually until around 2018, a full six years after I'd started running my own business, that I finally found a web team I was happy with which is the same team I've stuck with since to manage my site. Now, what does all this have to do with career change? The reason I'm sharing this story is because, well, first off, yes, if I had to do it all over again, knowing what I know now, I probably would have just tried to spend a bit more money from the very start, not mess with trying to do it myself or hire cheap freelancers and bring on a solid team to just get it done. But the second reason why I wanted to share this experience with you is just to say that hindsight's often 2020, and with most things, I'm a huge advocate of just taking your best guess and starting somewhere, even if it means you have a bit of a rocky start. I actually think that affordably getting an imperfect website up with imperfect design with an imperfect web developer was way more important at the time than me waiting to find the perfect web platform solution with the perfect web team in the attempts to get a perfect website up. 
that would have taken me way longer. And who knows what it would have cost me in terms of initial clients or the initial business traction and momentum I managed to create with a half decent website. Looking back at those pictures of that first website definitely makes me cringe now, but you know what? It did the job. And I've experienced a sort of similar pattern with a lot of the pivots I've made or new strands of work I've embarked on in recent years. When I gave my first public talk in 2013, it was definitely not my best talk and in fact was probably my worst. When I decided to give a TEDx talk in 2014, I was barely six months into running my own business full time and definitely didn't feel ready for such a big spotlight talk. I could have waited, but erring on the side of going for it kind of helped me get the ball rolling with delivering talks. And finally, when I created this podcast, if you go back and listen to the very first episodes in season one, the audio sounds a bit different and everything on my end felt a bit clunkier, but it got me going with the show. So if you were thinking about making some sort of a pivot, or if you're thinking about whether or not now is the right time to put yourself out there with the beta version of your product, service, idea, or personal pitch, I'm not saying you should be reckless or hasty with what you put out there for others to see, but I'd encourage you to err on the side of action, even if that action is imperfect. I've found in working with many career changers over the years that putting yourself out there and going for it ends up getting you further, faster, rather than waiting for the perfect moment to make your move. This takes me to a quote from the author Napoleon Hill. Do not wait. The time will never be just right. Start where you stand and work with whatever tools you may have at your command and better tools will be found as you go along. So my challenge to you is to think about something you've been trying to perfect before putting it out into the world, whether it's your CV, social media profile, product, service, idea, or website. And instead, focus on getting a version out there that's good enough. Sometimes referred to as a minimum viable product or MVP, this can be something you may feel still needs some work, but certainly won't embarrass you, and at least gets the ball rolling on the idea, knowing that you'll improve, refine, and rework it as you go, instead of trying to start in the perfect place, in the perfect way, on the perfect day. Focus on just starting somewhere. I'm actually gonna try and do this myself, with a bit of a social media refresh I'm planning to tinker with in the upcoming months ahead. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can help this podcast reach even more people by leaving a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find the links to do that at careerrelaunch.net slash 84, where you can also find highlights from my chat today with Julia, learn more about her organization, Geek Pack, or leave a voicemail for me with any question you want to ask or story you want to share related to your own career change ambitions. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 84. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch and a very special thanks to Julia Taylor for sharing her personal story with us today from Colorado. This episode was mixed by Liam McKenzie. Our music was curated by Jonathan rinaldi Pohl, and the Career Relaunch theme song was written and performed by Electrocardiogram. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll talk to you next time.